Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This podcast includes graphic descriptions of sexual assault. It may not be suitable for all listeners. As we're leaving the house on the ranch in New Mexico, this woman rides up on a white horse. She rode up in the most beautiful equestrian attire I have ever seen. I thought, what an elegant woman. In 1995, artist Maria Farmer says she met Galen Maxwell at an art show in New York City. But when she later saw Maxwell at Jeffrey Epstein's ranch in New Mexico, Maria says it was a moment she cannot forget. I was terribly impressed. I mean, she was um, charming, but a little bit irreverent, witty. She was very witty. She had a dry sense of humor. Maxwell was refined, and she came from a family that once had tremendous wealth and influence. I thought, what an elegant creature this is. She spoke perfectly, the Queen's English, right? Oh, this is great. I'm going to have fun knowing her. But there was something else that struck Maria about Maxwell. And I also remember being a little bit afraid of her. And I didn't know why, but I thought she was a little bit daunting. There was something about her that made me ill at ease. Ghislaine Maxwell, the Oxford-educated socialite who jet-setted around the world with her one-time boyfriend, Jeffrey Epstein. She's someone who is very sociable, gregarious, and someone you wanted to have at your party to be seen. Is now staying far from the public eye. Galen will not be found unless Galen wants to be found. As sources tell ABC News, she's currently under federal investigation for her alleged involvement in Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking operation. We don't know exactly where she is. She should be very concerned right now. I mean, she is the person who has talked about again and again. We're now seeing Galen Maxwell accused in a new lawsuit of being one of Epstein's alleged co-conspirators. And while the question of whether she'll face criminal charges remains to be answered, she does face a spate of lawsuits and accusations from women who allege she played a critical role in Epstein's abuse. I convinced myself I was safe because because she was there. She understood how powerful her presence were and they worked together as a team, I think. I mean, now looking back, I definitely feel like, you know, how did I not see that Ghislaine was, you know, the puppeteer in it all? But what was the relationship between Epstein and Maxwell? Was it romantic or was it transactional? Ghislaine got financial security and general security for having being with a rich, powerful man. She knew everyone. It was Galen whose Rolodex was so important to Epstein. She has social entree to many of the world's most powerful and richest families. It feels like she probably educated him in how to live like a billionaire, essentially. I'm Mark Remillard, and today on Truth and Lies, Jeffrey Epstein. Who is Galen Maxwell, and what was she to Jeffrey Epstein? Was this charming elegant woman, an accomplice to crimes he committed against girls and young women. Chapter 5. The Lady of the House. Yeah, I don't think money was 
ever seen as a problem for the family. Ghislaine Maxwell was born into the upper crust of British society. I am Nigel Rosser, former chief investigative reporter of the Evening Standard in London. Born on Christmas Day in 1961 and raised in Oxford, England, she was the ninth and youngest child of publishing magnate Robert Maxwell, whose name used to carry a lot of weight. Maxwell was larger than life. I think Robert Maxwell factors into this story in the sense that who he is informs a lot of who his daughter became. And this is Daniel Bates, a British freelance journalist based in New York, who's written for numerous publications, including the Daily Mail. Robert Maxwell's story, I mean, it's, it's an incredible story itself. Ian Robert Maxwell was not born into wealth the way his children later would be. He was born Jan Ludwig Hock in Czechoslovakia in 1923. Born into a turbulent time, his parents would both be killed in the Holocaust. He'd immigrate to Britain in 1940, and he'd fight for the British Army in World War II. He, um, he was awarded a military cross for his bravery. And according to news reports, he worked in intelligence and spoke nine languages and changed his name from Jan Ludwig Hock to Robert Maxwell. Following the war, Maxwell would enter the publishing business and by his 30s was seeing remarkable success. There were loads of companies. He, he was a serial businessman. In the 1950s, he'd build up one of his companies, Pergamon Press, into a publishing powerhouse and he'd travel the globe importing and exporting books. It wasn't long, though, after reports in the mid-1950s that Maxwell had visited Moscow that he'd land on the radar of J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. Interestingly, he was investigated by the FBI in the 1950s and 1960s when he travelled to America on business. And because he did a lot of his business at that stage in Eastern Europe, he fell under FBI surveillance, which the files are publicly available now. Maxwell continued building his empire nonetheless, and from the 1950s on, he would become a well-known figure in his adopted country. He formed a vast publishing and media empire and was, became a very powerful, influential figure in British media and politics. A larger-than-life character, Robert Maxwell has no inhibitions, whether on the football field or in the financial world. And then a newspaper tycoon, owner of the Mirror Group. Maxwell is no ordinary proprietor. He heads promotions and writes editorials. Maxwell's publishing empire wasn't just books or journals, though. He'd perhaps become best known as a newspaper publisher, taking over the Mirror Group in 1984 for nearly $150 million. The deal included British tabloids like the Daily Mirror, Sunday Mirror, and more. I think he saw... In those days, being owner of a newspaper gave you vast amounts of power, rather more than now, I think. The Mirror was selling around three million copies a day. But as he was building his empire, he was suspected of using some dubious business practices. In the late 1960s, he was ousted from Pergamon Press by his own board for allegedly inflating the company's share price and its economic outlook. At one point, he earned himself the nickname The Bouncing Check and that's Czech as in Czechoslovakia. But Maxwell was also known as a ruthless businessman. Oh, he was a massive bully. He bullied his employees. And his personality wasn't the only thing that stood out about him. He stood out physically. Yeah, he was about six foot three, 
and £300 would be about right, yeah. I mean, he was a terribly dashing-looking young man. Physically, he was very intimidating as, as, as well as in terms of his manner. So, um, and I think he used that to his advantage. Despite this, he was still revered as a self-made success story and a war hero. But I think in the eyes of the public, um, I, think he, I think he was respected. There was a kind of degree of respect, some admiration among the British public for him. You know, he was a sort of swaggering, swashbuckling type. Um, New York Times obituary of him had this great line where it said he, he never took a car when a, heli- a helicopter would do. The character he was was very much from another era, you know, when sort of um, businessmen, you know, drove around in Rolls Royces, smoked cigars and, and had big fur coats and white cats and things like that. Maxwell would settle in Oxford, England, in Headington Hill Hall, a 19th century yellow brick mansion. Headington Hill Hall is a vast, vast house built on a hill just outside the centre of Oxford, a sort of Palladian mansion, the uh, grandest council house in England. With its charming hillside views, stately columns, and more than 50 rooms, it was fit for a royal. And this is where Galen Maxwell would grow up, the baby of the family, and unquestionably, daddy's favourite. I don't think there's any doubt that she was the, the favourite. She, um, she pandered to her father's every whim, and he never took it upon himself to bully her quite as much as she, he had done the others. She was spoiled rotten. So I think, um, in many ways, uh, Robert Maxwell is a sort of in the uh, in her early days um, was 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 the most important um, man in Galen's life. Galen Maxwell would grow up accustomed to an exceedingly posh lifestyle. She'd go to the best schools, attending the now defunct Grey Coats Elementary School. Uh, it was a, an elite grade school, Oxford dons, local lawyers, local doctors, local businessmen send their kids there. Journalist Nigel Rosser's father was one of Robert Maxwell's doctors, and Nigel also went to elementary school with Galen Maxwell. He remembers having several interactions with the family, including with Robert. Some pleasant. I was in, um, in the same class as Ghislaine and was invited to several of her birthday parties. And on one occasion, my dad had a day off and uh, he turned up in his Land Rover and Wellies, thinking he was dropping me off for a party. But but he'd got the day wrong. And Maxwell in those days was a lot more jovial and said, Oh, doctor, come in and have a glass of whiskey. Never mind turning up early. We, we all sat in his drawing room and he and dad had a glass of whiskey. And, uh, you know, after 25 minutes, we we're out. And some, not so much. I remember queuing up at a cash dispenser and he was uh, being a student my uh, card wasn't working that well and he was standing behind me and he was just huffing and puffing and it was this vast angry exasperated presence when nigel was in school with galen maxwell they were only five or six years old and despite being very young to this day he says he has one memory about her that has stuck with him all these years we all bought snacks into school uh, to eat at about 11 o'clock. And someone started passing round her bag of nuts. And so, like everyone else in the class, I had a couple of nuts. 
And then because she decided that my snack, which was a chocolate bar of some description, was the thing she wanted most, she went up to the teacher and blamed me for orchestrating the stealing of her uh, bag of nuts because she wanted my chocolate bar more than she wanted all the other snacks. I remember thinking, this is really unfair. How manipulative. So did it work, by the way? Did she uh, did she get your chocolate uh, snack? Yes, she did. It was really unfair. <laughs> After finishing high school, Glenn Maxwell would attend Oxford. And it was while she was in college that she would meet someone with whom she'd stay close for years to come. It is said that she met Prince Andrew while she was at Oxford University. And their later relationship with Jeffrey Epstein would lead to one of the biggest scandals in modern British history. And she, being a great networker, would have latched onto him. He would have been in the Navy at the time, and he would probably have liked to use her social contacts for when he was on leave. And all the while, Glenn Maxwell would remain close with her father. Growing up, idolising and being doted on by a manipulative, controlling bully, I think it really moulded her by the time she was... You know, a teenager, she was a sort of mini-me. Robert Maxwell's 180-foot super yacht would even bear her name. His yacht was named the Lady Ghislaine after her, which is a sign of, you know, the affection. So um, I I, I think, you know, even from a young age, she, she had the same qualities as him. But as Robert Maxwell got older, he changed. Physically, his weight ballooned and the ruthless millionaire would become even more abrasive. As he became richer and more successful, uh, there's a theory that his personality changed and um, he became very bombastic, demanding and, frankly, fairly unpleasant. But the full extent of um, how awful he actually was didn't emerge until after his death. A body has been found in the sea off the... Robert Maxwell's death came suddenly in November of 1991. The 68-year-old had set out on the Lady Galen ahead of a meeting the next day with bankers from the Mirror Group newspapers when he disappeared off the coast of Spain. It must have been about four o'clock in the morning. I'm, I'm saying, I think the captain just sort of said goodnight to him and then... Um, and then he, he, he wasn't seen the next day, and then the alarm was raised. The Daily Mirror chief, Mr. Robert Maxwell, is tonight missing at sea, lost overboard from his yacht during a cruise in the Canary Islands. A massive air and sea search has been going on for several hours. The Spanish Coast Guards searched for his body, found it in about 24 hours. The 430-tonne vessel, said to have cost more than $25 million, was in calm seas. Conditions were perfect for cruising. Maxwell's naked body would be found floating in the water. Robert Maxwell, owner of the Daily Mirror, died today off the Canary Islands. His body has been recovered from the sea. How he came to be in the sea is a mystery. Just suddenly announced Robert Maxwell had died at sea. He'd allegedly fallen off the back of the yacht. The non-conspiracy theory is that he'd simply toppled over, tried to hang on to the rail with one of his arms and just fell into the sea. You know, the autopsy was carried out and the um, the cause of death was heart attack caused by drowning. Maxwell's own newspapers would publish moving obituaries on their late, colourful leader. It was regarded as a huge story and his own newspapers wrote it up as, you know, death of a genius and, uh, you know, 
we, we've lost a we've lost a lion. Glenn Maxwell would address the media in the days after her father's death. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all the many hundreds of people who have sent messages of support to us at this very, very sad time. Her brothers, Ian and Kevin, would also announce in the days after Robert Maxwell's death their plans to continue his empire. One of the great advantages of family businesses is a sense of uh, loyalty, is a sense of continuity. And we are uh, committed to continuing uh, in the path that Dad set. But waiting just on the horizon was a scandal that would rock Maxwell's empire and his family to its core. At lunchtime today, the Maxwell brothers emerged from a meeting with bankers in central London as concern over the massive Maxwell debt continued to fuel speculation about the future. Yeah, and at the time there were lots of sort of rumours and speculation about the finances of, of the Mirror Group newspapers and, you know, the clouds were starting to grow. His main business, Maxwell Communications Corporation, owed the banks more than a billion pounds. Maxwell's death would reveal the house of cards on which his mirror group had been standing, and it'd take hardly any time at all for it to come crashing down. Uh, A week after he died, it was revealed that his employees' pension funds had been raided, and public attitude to him changed very quickly. And there was a $500 million black hole in the pension funds of mirror group newspapers, his, um, his his main newspaper group. This isn't a pension fund where, you know, like a lot of people have today, where you have, you know, your sort of money invested across the stock market. This is a this is one of those pension funds where it's in the company. If the company goes down, you have no money. What essentially was happening is, you know, hundreds and you know of families were being potentially consigned to poverty um, in their old age, which is horrific. Virtually overnight, Robert Maxwell's reputation went from being revered businessman to Crook as he'd been raiding the company's pension funds to avoid bankruptcy. Essentially, he'd been raiding that to kind of keep the company afloat. And had he not died when he did, um, there's a reasonable, well, a strong likelihood he, he would have gone on trial for fraud and, and quite possibly gone to jail. Today, it's emerged that money was moved from a Maxwell pension fund possibly for use as security for a loan. Pensioners are horrified. There was a lot of anger, a bit of black humour, a lot of concern and worry. Employees of the Mirror and other Maxwell papers left work fearing that years of pension contributions may have gone to waste. Their pension fund was exploited, robbed possibly, to bail out their boss's private interest. Somebody with 25 years service may have been diddled personally out of between 80 and 100,000 pounds. The Mirror Group has pledged to try to recover the estimated £350 million missing from the pension fund, but admit there's no guarantee its members will get the pensions they're owed. Set about taking whatever's necessary. The pension scandal shredded the Maxwell family reputation. It brought them down to mud. I mean, essentially, they were seen as, um, you know, raiding the, the livelihoods of hardworking people on, on a huge scale as well. And the reverberations of the scandal would reach Maxwell's children. Kevin and Ian Maxwell would eventually be charged with conspiracy to defraud and later acquitted. 
But in the immediate aftermath of Maxwell's death and the exposure of the scandal, the British press was relentless. Kevin and Ian were having their business finances sort of picked over. Everyone was trying to find his elder daughters and they were being hunted all over the world. Ghislaine Maxwell, though, wouldn't stay around as her father's empire collapsed. She'd instead use it as an opportunity to start over, leaving the UK for America within weeks of her father's death. Um, even to this day, they're, they're still tainted by it. And maybe Ghislaine had the foresight to see that, or she could see it happening in real time and thought, no thanks, I'm going to you know, take my second act in America. So she's there, the face... After he dies, the the grieving daughter who lost her father uh, on behalf of a grieving family, yet when the whole pension thing goes down, she's kind of nowhere to be seen. No, she's on a Concord to New York. It's amazing how she did that, I guess, right? I mean, (laughs) kind of pulled a Houdini act, almost. Yes. I mean, she just realized things in the English term were going up and escaped. In fact, as the Maxwell children dealt with accusations that their father had stolen hundreds of millions of dollars from his employees, Glenn Maxwell would be spotted walking off the Concord from London to New York. But with an ocean between her and the scandal, a grieving Glenn Maxwell would begin a new life in New York. And almost immediately, she'd find herself with a man who was not too unlike her late father. There's very little doubt that Ghislaine swapped her symbiotic relationship with her late father, Robert Maxwell, for one with Jeffrey Epstein. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The picture of the 2024 race is becoming clearer, and it's looking like a rematch between President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. It's an election with few comparisons, both a current and former president running. So how should we make sense of this unique election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. When Ghislaine Maxwell arrived in New York City in 1991, She was 29 years old and sunken with grief from losing her father. But soon, she'd be introduced to a man who would help fill the void of her father's passing, Jeffrey Epstein. She said that um, Epstein saved her when her father died. She was a wreck, inconsolable, and Jeffrey took her in, and she's never forgotten that and never will. 
we can get a glimpse into how their relationship started through a personal history that was provided by Epstein's attorneys to federal prosecutors while he was later under investigation in Florida. It says Epstein met Glenn Maxwell through mutual friends. It's not quite clear who introduced them to who or how they how they met, but I would imagine it was, you know, probably through sort of mixing in sort of like the kind of circle she mixes in. Epstein's attorneys wrote that he met Glenn Maxwell during a dark time in her life and with her reputation and financial security on shaky ground. I don't think it's a jump to say that, you know, she probably was very distraught. I mean, losing anyone's dad, you know, is, is a is a horrible thing to happen. Um, and under those circumstances as well, I mean, I think she was obviously very close to him. And I get the feeling that she saw an opportunity as well. So I think it was not just the fact that there was someone there to save her. With Epstein, I think that she she saw she saw potential. She saw someone who could, you know, help her um, and establish her in America. I actually liked her straight away. Uh, she was uh, charming, um, very funny, very witty, has a wicked sense of humor, and um, just uh, she was very personable. She was just a um, eccentric English woman. Um, very um, affected by what had happened with her father, certainly. This is Conchita Sarnoff, a journalist and advocate who would later write a series of articles about Jeffrey Epstein for The Daily Beast. She'd also write the book Traffic King in 2015 about Jeffrey Epstein's abuse. And as it turns out, in the 1990s, she also knew Glenn Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein as they ran in some of the same circles. I actually saw them together for the first time in Palm Beach at one of the New Year's Eve theme parties that I attended. And it was then that I found out through our mutual friend that uh, she was dating him. It's not clear when, but at some point, Epstein and Glenn Maxwell would form a romantic relationship. When I spoke with her that evening, she said, oh, I'm living with Jeffrey. And... uh, You know, I was surprised. According to Conchita, they seemed to be a strange pair. I never thought that she would like Epstein. I mean, I I just never even imagined them together. She was raised by a very stern father, Robert Maxwell. He raised her, I think, from what she told me, you know, to, uh, to marry a prince. And as we know, Epstein was far from a prince. Epstein's attorneys wrote to prosecutors that he and Maxwell split up in 2000. But even after their breakup, the two would remain very close. Galen, I think, had broken up with Epstein uh, because, and I know Galen had mentioned to me when I saw her with him first, I said, oh, are you getting married? And she said to me, I hope so. So I think she always wanted to marry Epstein. And then, of course, it didn't work out. At one point, Epstein described um, Galen as his um, his best friend. She it seems to go from lover to companion to you know lady of the house. And while things didn't work out romantically, it appears their relationship provided other reasons to stay close. Galen knows who she is, but perhaps she has a weakness, and her weakness is her need to live a certain lifestyle, to have a certain standard of life. Whether romantic or not, Glenn Maxwell's relationship with Epstein would seem to provide her benefits. In the wake of her father's death, she'd found a man 
who just like Robert Maxwell, enjoyed the trappings of extravagant wealth and was on his way to obtaining it. And, you know, to have the kind of lifestyle that she wants, you need a jet, at least one. (laughs) You need a yacht the size of her father's yacht, the Lady Ghislaine, which they had to sell when he passed. And you need a couple of other toys to go along with that. And so since she has not made the money herself, she needs someone to give her this lifestyle. Well, Epstein happened to fit the bill. In late 1991, as Epstein and Maxwell were becoming close, he was already living large. He was working for billionaire Les Wexner. He'd recently purchased his home in Palm Beach. He had his own private jet. And he'd soon be moving into that former Iranian government townhouse on 69th Street. And as we know, his financial growth would only accelerate in the coming years. She told me that her father ran all of these newspapers and that she was very much used to someone with Jeffrey's money and temperament because she said, my father had this money and had this temperament and I know how to manage it. You'll remember artist Maria Farmer, who says she met Jeffrey Epstein and Galen Maxwell in New York City in 1995. She recalls speaking with Maxwell about her relationship with Epstein. So she explained that she um, got from him the luxury of travel, and she said she really couldn't live poor because of the way she'd grown up. This lifestyle was being financed for her. And in all of the different homes, they had her suite and her room. And she, you know, even on the plane, her dog Max had a Louis Vuitton carrier that was permanently part of that airplane. And... She just, in Florida, she had her own suite there. I believe that her relationship with Epstein was purely transactional. He was giving her the finances she needed and the lifestyle. Ghislaine got financial security and general security for her being with a rich, powerful man. But Epstein also benefited from his relationship with Maxwell. He got her contacts and her social skills and access to people like Prince Andrew. I don't think Epstein was uh, someone who had refined tastes before he met Galen. I think what Galen gave him was an entry into a very different life. As Epstein climbed the economic and social ladders, he seemed to benefit from having a friend who'd spent her whole life running in elite circles. It feels like she probably educated him in a number of things. I think how to live like, you know, like a, like a billionaire, essentially. When you talk about a sort of contract, I think... In terms of his tastes, his dress, his his social connections, I think a lot of that came from Galen. Uh, and what she got in exchange was another strong man in her life who she could she could look up to and respect. Galen Maxwell had the upbringing and refinement that Epstein longed for. She was very fancy. She was very personable, very well educated. You know, she speaks multiple languages. And the social connections he pined for. You're talking about the kind of world elite, um, the sort of Davos set of, of, you know, thinkers, politicians, royalty, the real like top set of people, um, the kinds of people that regular folk don't get to see every day. She was, they were her friends, you know, and her connections were crazy. She has social entree to many of the world's most powerful and richest families. In fact, she had attended Chelsea Clinton's wedding. She was front and center at that wedding. 
I mean, it was Galen whose Rolodex was so important to Epstein. She knew everyone, thanks to her father. So Galen had access to the world's richest and most powerful. Epstein's contacts flourished in the 1990s. In 1992, Epstein can be seen in an unearthed NBC video partying alongside Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Among them, the financier Jeffrey Epstein. You can't hear what's being said, but at one point, Trump leans in and says something to Epstein that has him roll forward in laughter. And standing right behind Trump, Glenn Maxwell can be spotted. And in 1993, records published in the Daily Beast show Epstein and Glenn Maxwell were on the attendee list for a White House donor's reception during the Clinton administration, and we'll explore Epstein's connection to President Clinton in later episodes. But perhaps the most notable direct connection that Epstein would gain through Glenn Maxwell was his friendship to a buddy from her college days, Prince Andrew. Andrew told the BBC's Newsnight last year that he met Epstein in 1999. Well, I met through his girlfriend... Um, back in 1999, who um, and I'd known her since uh, she was at university uh, in the UK. Um, and it would be, to some extent, a stretch to say that, that um, uh, as it were, we were close friends. At some point, um, um, Ghislaine introduces Prince Andrew to Jeffrey Epstein, and, you know, their relationship blossoms. But she's the bridge. Of she, she is the bridge. She's the one who introduces them. And, you know, I mean, this sort of, this idea about Epstein collecting people, I think to a certain extent... Ghislaine opened her Rolodex and allowed him to sort of, you know, kind of like take his pick. Uh, and I, I'm sure if you looked at Epstein's Black Book and compared it to Ghislaine's um, equivalent, there would probably be a lot of crossover. But somewhere along the way, their symbiotic relationship would allegedly be more than just an exchange of money and connections. There are several women who are now suing Ghislaine Maxwell claiming she played an important role in facilitating Jeffrey Epstein's sexual abuse. Again, it's not clear at what point Epstein and Maxwell began dating, but some women we spoke with say that by the mid-1990s, they were presenting themselves as a married couple. Gilan offered this level of comfort because she assured my sister and I that this is her husband, Jeffrey Epstein. They were very much married, according to Gilan. One of those women is artist Maria Farmer, who claims in her lawsuit against Jeffrey Epstein's estate that both Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell sexually assaulted her in 1996 when she was 26 years old. But Maria also says that while working for Epstein at his home in New York, she saw what she came to believe was Ghislaine Maxwell searching for teenage girls to bring to Epstein under the guise that she was searching for models. We would be driving, rounding the corner in their Central Park, and there's a little girl, and she would say, stop, stop the car, stop, 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 stop. And she would just run out with a card and a pen, and she would give her phone number to the child, and she would get the child's phone number. And I say child because it was usually in a school uniform. There were a few times uh, if she just saw somebody walking down the street, she would go get them. And they always had a similar appearance. They always looked a little bit um, like prepubescent almost, you know, like almost like little boys. They weren't very feminine, none of them. Um, they were just young. 
As journalist Daniel Bates puts it, without someone like Maxwell, Epstein may not have been as able to lure girls and young women to his home. When a attractive, well-dressed British socialite near aristocrat says to a poor, you know, American girl who doesn't really know that world, oh, you know, you know, I've got this amazing friend, he's a wonderful person, that's a completely different prospect. If they met in 91, it shows you within five years, she's, you know, if you believe the allegations, she is an enabler, a fixer, and a right-hand woman. And it seems like those roles are pretty clearly defined. Maria would not be the only person who says Glenn Maxwell played a role in some of Jeffrey Epstein's abuse. Some of the most shocking allegations to have surfaced in recent years have been made in court cases surrounding a woman named Virginia Jufre. We need to get to the bottom of everybody who was involved with that, starting with Gielan Maxwell and going along the lines there. Though when she met Maxwell and Epstein, she was Virginia Roberts. She claimed in court filings that roughly two decades ago, she met Glenn Maxwell while she was working at Mar-a-Lago, the private club owned by President Donald Trump. She alleges that Maxwell offered her a chance to make money learning massage therapy, and that's where her story may sound familiar. Her lawsuit says she was brought to Epstein's home by Maxwell and was sexually abused. But where it differs is that she alleges Maxwell also sexually abused her alongside Epstein. I was recruited at a very young age from Mar-a-Lago and entrapped in a world that I didn't understand, and I've been fighting that very world to this day. And I won't She says in court filings that Epstein's wealth, coupled with his social connections, made him an intimidating figure. And she alleges that Glenn Maxwell did more than just bring her into Epstein's world. She alleges that Maxwell helped facilitate many of his crimes. According to Virginia, it was Glenn who groomed the victims. Not only Virginia, but many other victims. According to Virginia's filings, uh, Glenn was instrumental in procuring the underage girls. And she would teach the underage girls how to behave, how to act, how to dress, how to eat properly. The scope of Epstein's alleged abuse of Virginia would be expansive, as she'd claim that she was later transported around the world on Epstein's private jet and sexually abused by him numerous times, in New York, in New Mexico, but also overseas, in Europe and Africa. And that was her entry into Epstein's world, and she was subsequently flown all around the world. Epstein would later be asked in civil depositions about his relationship with Virginia. Is it true, Mr. Epstein, that you and Glenn Maxwell forced Virginia Roberts to have sex with you on a daily basis? I'd, though I'd really like to answer those questions, I, I must assert my Sixth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fourth Amendment. But perhaps the most shocking allegations from Virginia are her claims in court documents that she was directed by Epstein to have sex with some of the world's most high-profile men, including, she says, Maxwell's friend, Prince Andrew. It was, um, the word bombshell is often used, but it was like a bomb going off. She opened up Pandora's box, and it was never the same. Virginia's allegation is that she was sucked into Epstein's world. Um, She was um, essentially turned into one of his, you know, main 
main victims who was initially used for sort of massages for him um, in Palm Beach and then flown around the world on his jet and loaned out to his wealthy friends for sex. She claims that when she was 17, um, she was introduced to Prince Andrew. They went to the Tramp nightclub. It was a fairly famous nightclub. And Virginia came along. And as Virginia claims, uh, Ghislaine said, you're going to meet a prince tonight. They went along to Tramp nightclub. They allegedly danced. Virginia claims that they went back to Ghislaine's house and her and Andrew had sex there. While at Galen Maxwell's home, Virginia Roberts has said that Jeffrey Epstein snapped a photo of her and Prince Andrew with Galen Maxwell in the background that would later be published around the world. He's got his hand, his left hand around her waist. They're both smiling and there's a grinning Galen Maxwell a couple of feet away, beaming at the photographer. It looks very incriminating. He looks like the cat who's got the cream and... It's an extraordinary photograph for people who've only just met, particularly given that the girl was many, many years younger than him, to have posed for under any circumstances you could term as innocent. And the alleged encounter in London wouldn't be the only time that Virginia says she was directed by Epstein to have sex with Prince Andrew. She claims that they had sex twice more, once in New York soon afterwards, and... Um, once uh, a third time during an orgy on Epstein's island in the Caribbean. She has repeated these claims um, in various court papers and in interviews. He knows exactly what he's done, and um, I hope he comes clean about it. Thank you. Thank you. The allegations against Prince Andrew have plagued him for years. He made his first public comments about his relationship with Epstein in 2015, speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos. Firstly, um, I think I must um, want, uh, for the record, uh, to refer to the events uh, that have taken place in the last uh, few weeks. And I just wish to uh, reiterate and to reaffirm the statements which have already been made on my behalf by Buckingham Palace. My focus is on my work. And this evening's reception allows me uh, to tell you about just a couple of the initiatives that I have founded and am passionate about. But the scrutiny around him and his relationship with Epstein would take on new life following Epstein's arrest in 2019. Your Royal Highness, we've come to Buckingham Palace in highly unusual circumstances. In November 2019, Prince Andrew appeared on the BBC's Newsnight for an in-depth interview about the allegations against him in what was widely seen as a PR disaster. Newsnight is a very highly regarded, investigation-led BBC current affairs programme. The interviewer, Emily Maitlis, is not only forensic, but really quite clever. During the interview, Prince Andrew claims he never saw any indication of Epstein's abuse and he denied Virginia Roberts's allegations, not only saying that he didn't have sex with her, but also... I have no recollection of ever meeting this lady. None whatsoever. You don't remember meeting her? No. Andrew has strongly and vehemently denied this. You know, he has said that he, you know, it never happened, basically. You know, Virginia says only one of us is telling the truth. 
And Andrew says, I basically I don't remember her because I've never met her. Andrew even questioned whether the photograph of him with his arm around Virginia, the one she says was taken the night she claims to have first had sex with him, may have been altered. I think it's uh, from the investigations that we've done, you can't prove whether or not that photograph is uh, faked or not because it is a photograph of a photograph of a photograph. So it's very difficult to be able to, to, um, to, to prove it. But I, I don't remember that photograph ever being taken. But it's possible that it's I think him attempting to deny the photograph at Ghislaine Maxwell's flat was just absurd. And him, him claiming to have no recollection of meeting this, this lady. At the time when he's making all these claims, you just think your life is chronicled by your servants and your press office and your protection people. And why don't you just wheel out your diaries to say, I wasn't in Ghislaine Maxwell's flat that night. I was in Kazakhstan doing business and anything. But that hasn't come forth. The fallout from the interview would be quick, as Prince Andrew would announce just five days later that he was stepping down from his royal duties. He's lost the privilege of members of the royal family. His reputation has been very damaged with the public. And in his statement announcing he was stepping back from his royal duties, Prince Andrew said he was willing to cooperate with any law enforcement investigations. However, just this week, we learned of a major development on that, as the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Jeffrey Berman, said investigators have attempted to speak with Andrew, but that he's been unresponsive. You know, ordinarily, uh, our office doesn't comment on whether an individual uh, cooperates or doesn't cooperate with our investigation. However, in Prince Andrew's case, he publicly offered indeed in a press release, offered to cooperate with law enforcement investigating uh, the crimes committed by Jeffrey Epstein and his co-conspirators. So I think in that context, it's fair for people to know whether Prince Andrew has followed through with that public commitment. So let me say that the Southern District of New York and the FBI have contacted Prince Andrew's attorneys and requested to interview Prince Andrew. And to date, Prince Andrew has provided zero cooperation. ABC News reached out to Buckingham Palace for comment, but it declined. Meanwhile, Glenn Maxwell has staunchly denied Virginia Roberts's allegations. In depositions from a 2015 lawsuit, Maxwell said Virginia is a, quote, absolute liar and everything she has said is a lie. Galen has never admitted to having trafficked anyone. Galen Maxwell has been defiant in her defense that she has never recruited, she has never procured. Conchita Sarnoff says she once asked Galen Maxwell about the allegations that she helped recruit girls for Epstein. When I spoke to Galen after I read all the files, the arrest reports, the incident reports, I called Galen. And so... The first thing she said to me when I asked her, Galen, what is all this with these girls claiming all these lurid things about you? She said, oh, ridiculous. It's sheer nonsense that, you know, it was she was not only shocked that I would know, but that I would ask her 
about such allegations. She was also, she did not sound indignant. She didn't sound ashamed. She didn't sound guilty. She just sound as if this was just another fly on the wall that would pass and that I shouldn't pay any attention to what these girls were saying because it was sheer nonsense. But as more women in recent months have come forward in lawsuits accusing Maxwell of facilitating some of Epstein's abuse and at times being party to it, she has not responded to those claims. And likewise, in our request for comment, her representatives have not responded. It seems like the years after her father died, Galen Maxwell has dealt with the scrutiny by simply slipping away. At the very least, as Galen Maxwell has claimed in her depositions, she was simply an ex-girlfriend turned friend who worked for Epstein, hiring employees around his home, including his masseuses, which she says were always of-age professionals. Right-hand woman, without a shadow of a doubt, according to court papers. But as we've heard, several of her accusers say that she was the woman behind Epstein, the one who gave him legitimacy. This kind of veneer of respectability that I think Ghislaine added to the whole operation. The one who gave him connections, and the one who allegedly brought him unsuspecting victims. With the money and social connections he'd earn in the 1990s, Epstein's life would expand. He'd have homes across the country and on two continents, and wherever he lived, allegations of abuse would follow. Next time on Truth and Lies, Jeffrey Epstein, we look at Epstein's empire from the high desert of New Mexico to the crystal waters of the Caribbean. And so when I got to the ranch and it wasn't as it had been described, it wasn't an immediate alarm. It was just sort of, okay, I guess, you know, this is somewhat different than what I I must have misunderstood. He picked a place that had absolutely no neighbors. He went to great lengths to buy a piece of property that... Uh, nobody, there was nobody around. Well, there was always a mystery about the place. It was so secretive. It was unusual. It was glamorous. It was, again, uh, many of the more rural folks just assumed it was another Santa Fe cult. They told me I'd need a passport. I didn't really know why. They said just in case. I didn't have a passport. They were able to get me a passport within 24 hours somehow. Uh, The two islands that we're looking at right here to the left is Little St. James, and off behind us is Great St. James. Those are both the islands that are owned by Jeffrey Epstein. I saw girls on the island that to me looked very young. Truth and Lies, Jeffrey Epstein, is a production of the ABC News Investigative Unit and ABC Audio. Written and hosted by me, Mark Remillard. Produced and edited by Kate McAuliffe. Reporting for this podcast is led by senior producer James Hill. Additional reporting by producers Pete Madden, Caitlin Fulmer, Chris Francescani, as well as senior investigative reporter Aaron Katursky. Associate producer is Emily Rachowski. Additional production assistance by Hallie Freger, Prithvi Takei, Kate Holland, Caroline Highland, and Alexandra Myers. Mixing and scoring by Evan Viola. Special thanks to Terry Lickstein, Josh Cohan, Lauren Efron, Stacia Deshishku, and Sandy Evans. Cindy Galley is our Chief of Investigative Projects, and Chris Flasto 
is senior executive producer. 